Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Deep Dive. Thanks for joining us again. Should be a really uh, interesting, I was going to say like fun, but we're going to be talking about like the Kraken and kind of their overall situation here, RJ. Uh, looking like we're, we're just a wild card team. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about that, about the Kraken really since the All-Star break and what's been going on with them. Some interesting questions we're going to pose to each other that maybe could explain what's been going on with the Kraken. Uh, but before that, we're going to do some quick hit uh, update notes about the team. Before that, even, I've got uh, an interesting story to tell, maybe involving a chicken parm. I don't know. Uh, and then before that, we actually have to say thank you to everybody who left us positive reviews on Apple Podcasts. And then before that, I have to be like a shill for ourselves and talk about our update stuff uh, and sell that. But but even before all that, RJ, I think we have to start with thanking Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring the podcast of the Post Game Lives <laughs> and and just being a great partner in this whole this whole season. That's been really really great for for all of us involved and and everybody following the Seattle Kraken. We've all had such a fun time. So big big shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall. Uh, do want to remind everybody that later on tonight, if you're watching this the day it comes out on uh, March 20th, Monday, I have my uh, next prospect live chat where we're going to be talking Ryan Winterton, Shane Wright, and David Goyette. It should be a lot of fun. Some interesting questions around some of those guys, uh, especially with uh, Wright and Goyette, the incredible seasons they've been having in the OHL. Uh, so for Patreon members, of course, link in the description below if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, that is going to be happening tonight. If you miss it, don't worry. The video on demand is available at any time after that if you're a, a Patreon member. And then also for Patreon members, tomorrow night for that Dallas game is going to be our next live commentary game. So if you saw that trailer we put out where we you know, spent a lot of time on the last one debunking and trying to solve the mystery of what Morgan Geeky was eating on the bench... Just a small taste of, of how awesome and fun those live game commentaries are uh, hanging out with everybody. So reminder for everyone, that is tomorrow against Dallas, that next live game commentary. If you're interested in joining us for that, you can check out the Patreon. All right, so now I can finally get to thanking everybody. Uh, let's, <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who left uh, Apple Podcast reviews last week. We talked a little bit about it last week, about how it really helps us out algorithm-wise over there. It helps people find the podcast, and that's really important for us right now because as the Kraken are you know, marching towards the playoffs, we know that there's going to be a lot of new fans uh, coming into the space. They're going to be paying attention to the Kraken because they're a playoff team. I mean, that is something that will get any Anybody, you know, any sports fan in any market interested, even if it's a sport that they're not used to following. And so uh, we want to make sure that we're as, we're as available and easy to find as possible for anybody who is interested coming and learning a little bit more about the team and, and hopping on board for this exciting playoff run and hunt that the Kraken are in right now. And so everybody, thank you so much for leaving those reviews. I read them all. They are all fantastic. And uh, yeah, it just, it just helps bump us up the rankings there a little bit, helps people find us. And as many of you can attend test because you know you've, you've done it already to RJ and I um, it, this is a really nice place for new hockey fans uh, to come and, and and learn about the sport ask questions very safe environment for them and so as we approach the playoffs and I and I think that's going to happen uh, I, I want to make sure they can they can find our awesome community and then finally RJ to round out our cold open here that's going to be like seven and a half minutes long <laughs> I finally did it. I finally feel like I, I joined the, the, the Kraken community in a new and special way that I, I just I wasn't able to connect with the Kraken uh, without doing this before. And that is I finally had a chicken parm. And for those wow. of you, I know, right? I mean, I, you know, I mean, not better than anybody. My, my parents probably know better than anybody, but you know pretty well, RJ, what a picky eater I am. I'm not adventurous. I do not break out of the five foods that I eat. Um, but I, I felt like I had to when this opportunity presented itself to me just because, I mean, chicken parm arguably more than any other food for some reason is associated with the Seattle Kraken. And really it all goes back to their first nationally televised game at the beginning of last season. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, it was on ESPN. ESPN had just gotten the rights to the NHL. They were going into Seattle doing a nationally televised game. First season for the Seattle Kraken, John Buchagross calling the game. And I think he spent at least tw like 20 solid minutes talking about chicken parm. 
and just how great chicken parm was. And they brought him a chicken parm in the booth and he ate it during an intermission and talked about how great it was. And ever since then, I've just associated chicken parm with the Seattle Kraken, RJ. As have a lot of people. And I remember that game. I remembered seeing a big chicken parm being wheeled into the broadcast booth and I wasn't quite sure what was going on uh, because I couldn't watch the broadcast because I was at the game. Uh, But yes, I I understood afterwards. So Dylan, I've got to ask you though, I know you're a very picky eater. Are you sure you don't just mean like a plain boiled chicken breast with a little bit of that, you know, sprinkled canned Parmesan on top of it? Like it was a proper chicken parm. It was a proper chicken parm uh, made for me by someone who, who really knows what, what they're doing. A friend of mine went over to her place. We had it. She made it for me because she was just like, you have to have this. How have you not had this? Which is a pretty reasonable thing to ask. Yeah. Uh, and so she made it. It was it was all authentic. It was all good. It was really delicious. Uh, it was a good enough to spend a majority of like the first ever nationally televised game in the for this new expansion club in one of if not the best sports cities on this continent i don't know that i would have talked about it that much going through all that i think there's better things to talk about uh in relation to to sports and hockey in that moment but it was still it was really really good so uh uh yes it was like i said i just i feel connected to the kraken now like like even more so and it's and it's it's pretty cool Okay. Awesome. I'm glad to see another thing added to the, the list of maybe it's six foods that you'll eat now. <laughs> I know we so. might've made it to a second hand. Uh, <laughs> all right, everybody. So now for some actual Kraken updates, I mean, I think the biggest news uh, right now is the news that happened just like an hour or so ago, RJ. And that is that the Seattle Kraken are um, emergency calling up Joey decor uh, to, to join the team from Coachella Valley. Right, and this comes in the wake of Philip Grubauer leaving their last game against the Edmonton Oilers, a little under halfway through, with uh, what's been described as a non-COVID illness. So we don't know exactly what it is. Uh, Dave Haxtell, after the game, didn't elaborate uh, beyond those words of non-COVID illness, what happened uh, with Grubauer exactly. But this recall basically says two things. One, that Philip Grubauer may not be available for tomorrow's game against the Dallas Stars, and we have to assume it's due to that illness. And that, two, Chris Drieger isn't quite ready for NHL games yet. So we'll, we'll start with the first. Philip Grubauer, I mean, how worried should we be? This is a question that we're getting a lot. It's hard to say when you know the player is ill, but you don't know with what or how ill. But the initial report on Grubauer during the game was that it was a lower body injury. I think non-COVID illness is much better than a lower body injury uh, when you're talking about kind of longer term status. Uh, And especially if it's the kind of thing that he played almost half a game with, it's probably not serious enough that it's something we have to worry about long term. That's that's my guess, although obviously this makes you feel a little less like solid about that. Although the idea that it is being kind of considered like an emergency call up situation tells you that it's not like, okay, this shouldn't be too, too long. Um, the, the interesting thing for me, and I think a lot of people as well is, is the fact that it is Joey and it's not Chris Drieger. And it, and the question is, is yeah, do they think that Drieger's not quite ready yet? Are they sitting with whatever rehab plan they had in mind for him anyway, which was going to be X amount of time or, or even just the rest of the Firebird season, including playoffs, whatever that is for Chris Drieger. Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. The other thing I thought of RJ, which was. Coachella Valley Firebirds right now are only two points back of the Calgary Wranglers for best record in the AHL. Okay. And not only are they only two points back, they have four games in hand to make up those two points. Okay. And so I'm wondering if like, yeah, you know, they're feeling like, well, we want to, we want to stick with whatever rehab plan we had for Chris Drieger, but also like he's, he's playing like super meaningful games down there at the AHL level as well. And I do think that there's an element of the organization wanting in your first ever season in the AHL, wouldn't you love to be the top team at the end of the season, like the regular season? Like, like that's a pretty cool thing. So I do wonder if they're also leaving Chris Drieger down there just because they're like, Hey man, uh, help us, help us get to this like really cool goal. It's certainly possible. I mean, you could have a win-win there where you have Drieger getting the reps in that he needs and also helping them towards that number one seed. And you look at what it means to be called up here uh, on an emergency basis. This could mean just, okay, we need somebody, and this is what the job is. You are going to sit on the bench while Martin Jones plays in Dallas. 
And, you know, that could be it. So in that case, maybe you call up to Cord, you give Drieger the reps that he needs. So it, it just could be as simple as that potentially. Um, but I, I do think, you know, the fact that it's Decord there does say something. And also, I mean, I wonder, Dylan, question for you. Let's say Grubauer can't go tomorrow against Dallas. Let's say he's out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Who would you start? Uh, in Dallas? Would you think about, yeah, would you think about giving Decord a start? I, they've put him into some bad situations already. <laughs> they have, although if this was tomorrow, I'd be saying like, well, then that definitely is a Joey day. <laughs> we're going to make him travel and then we're going to throw him to this team going for tops in the Western Conference. Um, I don't know. I, I think they're probably going Jones. I think they want to know, like this, this could be the key game for them determining how much Martin Jones we see the rest of the way, what the situation is, if they need to reevaluate things and feel like they need to bring up Chris Drieger, because the bottom line is Martin Jones has not instilled a lot of confidence in me, you, any Kraken fan right now. Uh, it, it just isn't quite there with him. And it's pretty wild to think about how like, you know, a month and a half ago, he was like taking us on that historic road trip and we were winning all these games with him. Um, it's it's crazy how things can, with goaltenders, just run so hot and cold. But yeah, I mean, I I think that they're going to use that game against Dallas if Guru really can't go to, to see what they have in Martin Jones so that they know if they need to deviate from whatever the Chris Drieger plan is or not. Yeah, and I, I think that's... Um probably a good idea you, you want one more game to evaluate i mean he did play again in that dallas game uh you know allowed uh five games uh, five goals sorry in that second game against dallas but you know give him another shot at it i i think about starting joey decord though if you feel like you really need the points and just want to throw something different at him because again look we saw how the kraken matched up against the stars they, right. they didn't match up very right yeah. and especially after this kind of had the book on him and knew him throwing some kind of chaotic element into it too. And we've seen this happen where goalies will come up from the AHL and teams don't really have the book on them. And all of a sudden they, they look really good. You need to play well in front of the goalie to make that all work. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if, if you feel desperate for the points, which we'll get to that later. I don't think the Kraken should feel desperate for the points, but if they do, then, then maybe I'd think about it. Yeah. It's, it's really tough. I mean, look, if you, if you run with Joey, you risk not having a perfect, one and O goaltender on the season, RJ. It's, it's a nice thing to, to point at and say you have. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at that one game that he played already, that Calgary game. I think that might be how you have to beat Dallas in this yeah. kind of weird, you know, back and forth, high scoring type of game. Um, I, I could I could see it having kind of a similar feel to it. Of course, that's the one cracking game I didn't really get to watch live this season. <laughs> so, I mean, you could probably tell better than I could, but um I don't know. That's just my thought. Yeah, I thought he looked good in that game. I wouldn't have an issue with it. I do think that it's an interesting situation. I'm looking at, at like their numbers and everything again. And, you know, Martin Jones, he still obviously has the team lead and wins while he's in debts, but the save percentage, you know, worse than Grubauer's goals against average, slightly worse, but he's got the three shutouts. Grubauer has none. Then you start looking at things like quality start percentage and Grubauer with a 60% there, Martin Jones at a 447. That I think is the thing that leaves the door open, you know, the possibility open. I know Hackstall, we've joked, he's all about those W's and, and obviously Martin Jones has that over over a Joey, but I, I look at that quality start percentage and I go, Yeah, you could you could probably give Joey this one if you want to see what you got in him. <laughs> yeah. No, I think so. I mean well, it'll be interesting to see which way they go. We'll find out tomorrow. Yes, we will. And again, we could all find out together doing the Patreon live game commentary. If it is a Joey game, could you imagine? That would be so good. That's probably why it won't happen, RJ, because that would be too much fun and entertaining for for all of us <laughs> to watch the game together <laughs> doing it. Um, all right. Any other any other news and, and uh, notes, updates from the team? Uh, well, John Hayden left the last game uh, with an injury on a fight. I mean, we all kind of saw it. If you're watching the broadcast, he fell awkwardly, looked like a pretty bad ankle twist. Um, it could be worse than that. But no update on him yet because uh, the Kraken haven't really, you know, kind of returned to practice and everything yet. So uh, we'll probably find out tomorrow uh, any update on John Hayden. But again, hoping for the best because he did really well before that injury. It was a shame to see him go down. It was it was really brutal. I mean, I've... Every game that he's been in this season, we've noticed him. We've talked about him. Uh, I thought that that fourth line in particular was unbelievable to start off that Oilers game. I thought they were so, so solid. I was looking at it, and I was going, that is their fourth line for the playoffs. Like That is the line that can get out there 
and eat and and chew up another team and just keep them from doing what they want to do and wear them out physically and all that good stuff you and I have both been talking about that you need come playoff time. And I was like in post game, I, I mean, I was tweeting it. I was like apologizing to Daniel Sprong fans, but like John Hayden is like the guy for this group. And then of course... He ends up getting uh, injured and having to leave the game. So, yeah, I oh, gosh, I just hope it's nothing serious and he can get back out there really soon because uh, it was really, really encouraging to see what that fourth line, him, Geeky, and Donato could could do together. It looked so yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, in just, in just eight minutes or so of ice time for yeah. him since the call-up, it's amazing what he did. Delivers that huge hit on Logan Couture. That's the kind of thing yeah. that adds up in the playoffs. Then uh, takes the coincidental minors penalties with Mario Ferraro pulling their probably second-best defenseman off the ice with him. Huge. And then early in the uh, in the Edmonton game, he draws a penalty. Yeah. And, and they're just cycling the puck around the offensive zone. I Just really, really impressive stuff. Yeah, so definitely we're, we are big John Hayden fans over here. Uh, and and want to wish him a speedy recovery with whatever it is that he is dealing with. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the situation there. It's going to be interesting to see what lineup uh, Hackstall rolls with for that Dallas game, not just in net, but but in general, uh, it's going to be interesting. But you know, we just talked about some of the games from this past week, RJ. There were there were three since our last podcast. A uh, uh, five to two loss to Dallas last Monday. 2-1 overtime win in in uh San Jose back on uh back on Thursday in a game that was way closer than it should be and then obviously the Oilers game that happened just a couple days ago on Saturday 6-4 loss for the Kraken after that Oilers game RJ I talked about it on the post game live and then you you when you joined us a little bit later on you talked about it as well we're a wild card team is the bottom line. Like that was the chance for the Kraken. We talked about this last week. We talked about this really the last month or so, you know, talked about the importance of them finishing is the third seed in the Pacific division, staying within that bracket, trying to maybe get a a matchup against a Kings team that you've played very well all season long. But the bottom line is looking at how those two games against Dallas went, looking about how they played against this Oilers team. That would be the team they'd have to beat out for that third seed. This team is just a wild card team. Like in my mind, there's there's no chance at catching Edmonton now. Edmonton's got a very light schedule, perhaps even lighter than the Krakens the rest of the way. I think we just have to all kind of embrace the idea of, you know, the Seattle Kraken are a wild card team, and that's where we're at. I'm not I'm still not like entirely panicked about whether or not they're gonna drop out of the playoffs. We could talk about the upcoming games against Nashville here in a little bit. But I, I think we have to start like coming to the realization that, you know, we're a wild card team and I don't think it's going to be any more than that. Yeah, I've come to that conclusion as well. The, the Kraken are pretty solidly a wild card team. Um, and you look at the math, too, and I kind of um, reverse engineered this uh, this graphic like playoff race. That was graphic fantastic, from, by the way. Yeah, thank you. From this, the awesome uh, Damon, uh, Damian Echeverrieta. From, who's the uh, the VP of player safety and hockey operations at the NHL. Every year he would put out these playoff race graphics, and I hadn't seen any this year. Um, I'm sure he's busy with many other things given that job title. Um, so I decided I missed it. I wanted to make one myself. So I posted that um, up on Twitter a couple days ago. I've been updating it still, so I'm looking at the updated one. I can uh, keep posting that if people are interested. But um, you, know, you look at that and you, it kind of goes through. It's really information dense. The entire schedule really remaining for the teams that the Kraken are competing against for the Kraken. And there are a few takeaways from it yet. And the first one being Edmonton's schedule, pretty darn easy coming up Mm -hmm. uh, for the rest of the season, really. I mean, you look at the kind of points that they're likely to get. They face the San Jose Sharks three times. I mean, the Kraken just saw kind of how weak an opponent they are, even though they, uh, you know, they really tried. The Kraken played down to them, but they faced the Sharks three times. They faced the Ducks twice. They face the Coyotes twice. I mean, th- that's going to help them gain a lot of points. You yeah. should be able to get, you know, a- at least 500 hockey just from, you know, overall just from those games. So it's an easy road ahead for the Oilers. You, you look at the math, even if the Oilers somehow go six and six, just go 500 hockey. And that's asking a lot. The Kraken need to go eight and five, you know, put up, you know, get get 16 points in those final games just to you know, to be on pace with them. It's a, it's a tall task. And then, you know, beyond that, the the Kings, I think are just kind of out of reach. You know, even if the Kings go 500, which is still asking a lot, you got to go nine, three and one at that point. So looking at that math, it's just hard to see them climbing into one of those top three spots in the Pacific 
But good news the other way. Uh, you look at the teams below them uh, at Calgary and Nashville, and really one of those teams would have to catch the Kraken for them to fall out of a playoff spot. And it kind of shapes up the other way. Nashville, who's the real threat, you look at their schedule uh, for the rest of the season. They only have three games out of their 14 against non-playoff teams. So, you know, 11 of their 14 games against teams that are currently in playoff position, that's going to be a really tough ask, uh, you know, for them to win enough games to catch the Kraken. So I think Seattle's in a good spot there. Calgary just can't seem to figure things out. Their schedule's a little easier, but they have fewer games in hand. So I'm not really worried about the Kraken falling into the playoffs. I mean, you know, if they if they lose the next four, basically if, if they do what they've done all season and they just don't lose four in a row, they're probably okay. Yeah, because that was the big thing about this week is, you know, it was it was a closer than it should have been game in San Jose, but at least it, it stopped the losing streak at three. We kept that yep. going. I've, I've been on record. I don't think the Kraken will have a four plus uh, game losing streak this season. I stand by that. Um, and, and thankfully, that Sharks game uh, went the way that it needed to for me to mean to not look too bad uh with if, in regards to that but yeah i think i think the kraken are still in an okay spot especially because we look at what the kraken have been doing since the all-star break rj really since the beginning of february nine nine and two it's not good it's not it's, i mean it's 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 average like by definition almost it's 500 it's, and, yeah it's, nhl 500 it's nhl 500 they've been perfectly okay and fine uh but they've also just been fine but it, it does mean that you know as you talked about what they would need to do to to either advance or to drop out of things they're, they're playing 500 hockey that's not going to be enough to to make any ground up on your divisional opponents but it also seems like it's not going to cost you anything in the on the back end either but yeah i mean it's this team they're in a wild card spot i don't like being in a wild card spot for all the things i talked about last week you're not in control of your destiny talk about having to you know we know what vegas and they're they've always done to the kraken and so you're looking at as a wild card team potentially having to go face vegas in a first round and then you know we just lost twice to dallas and we got to play them again tomorrow and dallas looks like a really really good team and right now if playoffs end today guess what you're going to dallas that's your that's your first round playoff matchup, and uh, I don't want to have to go and face Jake Ottinger, RJ, in the first round. I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> no, I mean the uh, the Flames saw what that was like last year, and they they barely prevailed. But man, uh, with this Stars team in front of Ottinger, I think it would go differently. Yeah, and you know what? There's there's a chance Minnesota could jump J Dallas. They're only one point behind. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll obviously talk more about like potential playoff uh, matchups and stuff maybe in a, in a week or two, just when things look a, a little bit more certain than they are now. But it does mean also, uh, you know, a week from today, they play against Minnesota. That could also be some sort of playoff primer for the Seattle Kraken, depending on how that central division ends up uh, shaking out. But I want to talk, RJ, you know, mention the 9-9-2 nine, nine record. We know what, what has worked for the Kraken. We've done a good job of focusing on that in the past. We've tried to dissect and figure out what exactly is going wrong with them too. And it still feels like some of the same mysterious things that we've talked about all season long. Like not being able to win at home. Or not being able to beat playoff teams. And so it's, it's one of those things where... I don't know. It's I, I have a hard time truly figuring out like, okay, what's what's gone wrong since February? Because it's been some of the same kind of mysticism stuff that's been plaguing them all season. Right. And when you look at where the Kraken are at now, I mean, we talk about this team is a wildcard team and it's not just the standings and the math that's telling us that it's the team's play on the ice yeah. and this kind of clear division of the games that they win and the games they lose and the opponents that they beat and the opponents that they don't. Um, and I think it's because the Kraken are doing a lot of similar things. They have a lot of the same uh, problems, a lot of the same issues, but a lot of the same, uh, you know, positives as well that you can take out of these games. And it's just kind of down to the opponent is can that opponent burn you on your mistakes? Are they a good finishing team? Because I think you look at the Kraken since the all-star break, every game they'll make a few kind of mental miscues defensively they'll turn some pucks over in their own zone they'll give some chances to an opponent and 
it just comes down to how often they're burned on those. You look at a team like Edmonton last game who, yeah, they've got the talent. They've got the finishing talent. They can burn you on that stuff. You look at most of the playoff teams the Kraken have, have played recently. And they Dallas, they absolutely yeah. have the talent to burn you on that stuff. San Jose, they really don't. I mean, if you're turning a puck over to Noah Gregor, you know, in the <laughs> offensive zone, chances that he's going to be able to, to make you pay for that are small. You know, Anaheim, same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got a few guys, Trevor Zegers, who, you know, ended up scoring in that game and, and did well, but like not much beyond that. So I think you're starting to see, you know, this consistency, you know, this average consistency from the Kraken and it's showing up in, in the fact that they tend to beat non-playoff teams and they tend to lose to playoff teams. Yeah. And that's why the Nashville games are going to be so interesting to me because, you know, Nashville is like this pseudo playoff team and you got those two games. Um, I, I'm not going to panic about anything in, unless they were to maybe drop both of those games. That's when it gets like a little like, oh, okay, well, that wasn't great. I think they only have to go one and one uh, in those two matchups uh, for me to still feel really, really solid about their playoff chances and everything. But yeah, it's, it is an interesting thing of, of, you know, this is just kind of where they're at, which maybe we were spoiled from the first half of the season, RJ, but that's really where they should be. Isn't it is like as a wild card team, as a team that is better than the teams they should be, but maybe not as good as some of the elite teams uh, out there in the NHL, because the bottom line is they were third worst last year. This is a team that very clearly stated they had a three to five year plan. They wanted to build through the draft. They wanted to establish a young core and let them grow and draft players like a Maddie Beneers that are going to be like a solid two way responsible player. Draft a Shane Wright, a solid responsible two way player and let them grow and develop. And you know what? Year two out of a three to five year plan just to make the playoffs. But as a wild card, all that kind of stuff. That seems really natural, actually. And so it's one of those, as as disappointing as, as things have been here lately for, for a lot of people, just because of how well the team had been playing through most of the season, the fact that we were in first place for a little while there. I do think, like, like macro, big picture view, this is, like, actually kind of right where they're supposed to be in a weird way. Yeah, and you go back to kind of our division preview and a lot of our videos from the start of the season kind of previewing where the Kraken were going to be at. You take the last several minutes of us talking about where the Kraken are at now. Doesn't that sound a lot like what we were describing the best case scenario as? Yeah. <laughs> as we were talking about it going into this season of where, you know, they're this playoff bubble team, but on the right side of the bubble where they can, you know, take care of business against the teams that they should, but they're still kind of a step away from the real contenders. It, mm -hmm. it just sounds a lot like that to me as I've gone back and, and looked at how we were talking about the Kraken at the start of the season. Um, and, and I do think they're on the right side of that that wildcard bubble. Like well, I guess we'll see against Nashville kind of where they're at. But I do think that they are a step above those teams that are, you know, Nashville. They played St. Louis recently, and I showed that I think it showed that they're kind of a step above those yeah. teams on the wrong side of the bubble. Um, I don't know. They're, they're just it's a lot of it is going to just depend on as I look at the standings again, how this shakes out in the central and the Pacific above them. And it's really out of the Kraken's control, but I right. think there, I mean, we'll talk about matchups later, but like, I think there are some ways that it could be not terrible matchup wise. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And yeah, you know, if right now, 69 games into the season, the Kraken 601 points percentage, if you had to ask, told either of us back when we were doing those division preview videos, like, would you take this? Would this be good? We'd just be both be like, yeah, that's better than I thought. Like we were both kind of yep. thinking they'd be around 500. Uh, so, the, you know, them, them playing at 500 here lately, but them having played so well earlier in the season, it's uh, it is good. And it does it does tell you too, you know, if you are going to play kind of good and maybe even a punch above your weight for a little while, it really does matter. Banking those points early in a season. I mean, we talk a lot and we've been talking RJ about how, you know, right now these are the games and it's all important and all of this stuff, but two points back in November, still the same as two points now, you know what I mean? And so the fact that the Kraken were able to bank as many points as they did earlier in the season is why we can kind of have, a calmer, more rational conversation now instead of, uh, oh, no, the sky is falling. We need to really be worried here about uh, whether or not we can make it to the dance kind of thing. So uh, that is that is a little fun. Um, so we, we've got a there's like two questions really around this, RJ, about why they are a wild card team, why they feel like a, a, a wild card team, why there may be 500 here. 
And I, I don't know if we want to each take one of these questions and ask it to each other uh, and get their get their opinions or if we should just both lay them out on uh, out there and then we'll we'll address them, um, you know, equally here. Uh, but I, I think I think we'll just do that. So the two questions are, you know, in essence, do they practice enough? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've got to talk about that. And should they have done more at the trade deadline? Been a little bit more aggressive, not tried to, to play the long game. And so um, I, I don't know if you want to if you have a preference on which one of those you want to tackle first here, RJ. One is definitely a juicier sounding clickbaity. I know. <laughs> a headline grabber. <laughs> Should we should we save that for the end then? All right, we could do that. So let's talk about the trade deadline then, because Ron Francis was not super aggressive at the trade deadline. Didn't really go out there and add much. Made some moves, you know, obviously in the last off season to make the team better. Uh, you do make moves over the course of the season, such as bringing in Ellie Tolvanen, which realistically is better than any trade deadline buy they were oh, yeah. probably going to get. Um, but the but the bottom line is, as we're talking about the teams that the Kraken can't seem to beat or they struggle consistently against, or you look at the teams that they're having to deal with and and chase and seem like they're out of their reach in the Pacific Division, everybody else around them added at the deadline and the Kraken didn't. And so I, I guess the the obvious question to ask out of all of that, just boiling it down to to you know the, its base parts. Is that is that just what it is? Like everybody else added, so now they're playing better than the Kraken because they got better, and the Kraken didn't add, so they didn't get better, and now they're being left behind. Like, is it just that simple, RJ? I mean, I think there's there's a little something to that. I don't think it's just that simple. Um, I, I think you look at this Kraken team that even had a, a lot of the same personnel, you know, and and they have played better in the past. And even though the other teams added, I don't think that's made all the difference. But still, it. it it does matter. I mean, you look at that Edmonton game and the, the, the quiet plays that Matthias Ekholm was was making to kind of stabilize things defensively, uh, you know, for Edmonton. I mean, you you look at just the teams the Kraken have played since the deadline and their their deadline ads. I mean, um, weren't they on the wrong side of uh, Tarasenko's first as a Ranger? Uh, you know, when that happened, <laughs> yeah. I, it's, you know, it, it does kind of provide a jolt for your team when you bring someone in. Now, I'm not you know, backing off of what I said at the deadline, which is that you know, it's it generally you don't want to mortgage the future. It was not the time to bring in any really high grade rentals. I, I stand by that because, again, whatever happens this season, the future is more important and you don't want to do that. Uh, you know, a, a trade like, you know, potentially a Chikrin trade. That's a whole other beast. We won't get into that, you know, because that's that's a whole big long term decision. But <laughs> another trade uh, that hurt us a, a week or so ago. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, the, the, you know, that was another example of teams that they played that's given them a jolt. Yeah, Jacob Chikrin's a good example. Um, but I, I'm going to kind of stick with what I said at the deadline that, you know, it's not a bad idea to stand pat, but it looked like there were a couple opportunities that maybe could have helped mm-hmm. uh, and for a low cost. Um, and, and those are the, the ones that we know about, at least, are JVR and John Klingberg. Mm-hmm. Now, JVR, first and foremost, that's the one that I was really able to talk myself into as it looked like it might have been happening at the deadline. I mean, if you believe, you know, the Flyers GM at the time, Chuck Fletcher, it sounds like, a, you know, a fourth round pick or, or something equivalent might have gotten it done. He didn't even get an offer for that. Um, and I think if you look at where the Kraken are right now in their lineup, he could have helped a lot, not just to have a net front presence, but you look at their top six, there is clearly a spot missing. Yeah. And Hackstall's kind of gone back to this lineup where you've got McCann, Beneers, Eberle as this as this first line, and that's going to score for you. That line's great. You don't want to touch it. And then as this third line, you've got the Tolvin and Gord and Bjorkstrand line, which is just awesome. Like, keep them yep. together forever. They're doing their thing. But it leaves this hole at that second line spot where you've got Schwartz, Wenberg, and then who who do you have? They tried Donato there. They tried Tanev there. They even tried moving Bjorkstrand up there, and he kind of fixed the line. But then that Gord line wasn't exactly the same. So mm-hmm. you you just have this this hole there where they are waiting, just waiting to get Andre Burakovsky back, and they just need him back. You know, in the worst way to get to that next level, and that's one where you could make an argument where they're okay, maybe all of a sudden you get Burakovsky back before the end of the season and they go back to being the team they were because it just bumps everybody down the right amount and all of a sudden you've got guys playing exactly where they need to be playing. But in the meantime, you're losing points in the standings and maybe JVR was able to go in there and and be that piece on the line. You don't know if he's going to fit well, but for the low cost, maybe you'd want to take a risk there. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm with you on that because the bottom line is, yeah, you know, JVR is he's getting up there in age, 33, approaching 34. Um, but the bottom line is, this is a guy who's been a 30 goal scorer before. I know his numbers don't look great this year, but the bottom line is, show me anybody on the Flyers right now whose numbers look good, really, outside of Travis Konechny, and um, and and we've seen it before, RJ. How many times have we seen it where a veteran leaves a bad team? And then they join a team in a playoff hunt and they turn it on. Like that's very much something that happens because it gives just to the way that their arrival can give a jolt of energy and, and be this like, you know, energizing force for the team that they're joining. It's the same way for somebody like that who goes from basically playing meaningless hockey games, knowing he's just on a team that's probably trying to bottom out to playing for, you know, trying to make the playoffs, trying to get as high a seat as possible because, hey, look, this could be my, my um, you know, chance at a cup and all of that kind of stuff. Like, that's that's a really significant thing for players. And so I do think that we would have seen, you know, that with a JVR if he, had, if he had come over. And like you said, it fills something that the Kraken have been missing here, clearly, uh, as the Kraken have tried to, at several points, outscore their problems which has really been how they've won through most of the season. And we're just seeing that right now for cer- against certain teams, they're just not capable of doing it. Just can't quite you know, get that done against a Dallas. Couldn't quite get it done against the Oilers despite playing well otherwise you know, or, or trying your best effort at it. Uh, even, the, even in the Ottawa game, you just couldn't quite do it. And so I think for the Kraken, having just somebody in that top six who who could put the puck in the net a little bit more often, who could help out the power play a little bit, I do think that that would have been something. It's interesting, too, because I'm with you. I didn't want them to sell out for the future or anything. It didn't make sense for this deadline, given where they're at. Like, for all the reasons we had just talked about earlier, three- to five-year plan, being a wildcard team year two feels pretty appropriate for all of that stuff. But... I also would have said, well, how often do we see trade deadline acquisitions really like totally change a club, RJ? And and I would have said, eh, it's, you know, it happens sometimes, but maybe not all the time. However, this year, RJ, especially if you just look at the three teams ahead of them in the division, boy, does it seem like the trade deadline really fixed all of their problems. Like, it's kind of wild. I don't know where we want to start. I could go reverse in order of standing. So the Edmonton Oilers, because we just played them. You know, they, they add in uh, uh, Matthias Ekholm, like he's helping to solidify their back end, which was something they definitely needed, and, and he's helping. But the other one that just looked like it, like a total game changer for them was them bringing in Nick Bukestad from Arizona, who just, <laughs> hey, guess what? We have a fourth line center now, and our fourth line is not a pushover anymore. And this could be the thing that, that helps us, you know... Just lets Connor McDavid breathe on the bench that little bit without something terrible happening the way it was kind of going before for them. And all of a sudden they, they look great and they got him at 50% retained. He's counting for $450,000 against their cap RJ. And he gave the Kraken fits in that game against the Oilers. Uh, so I look at the Oilers and I go, wow, they actually got better at the deadline in a significant way, in a way that is the reason, you know, part of the reason why they're pulling away from them. You go and you look at the Kings, and obviously their big trade was they they wanted Gavrikov from from Columbus, and they brought him in. That helps out their blue line. But I talked about it on the red glare around that, RJ. I thought, really, that was to improve their goaltending and bringing in Corpusalo. And and guess what? I'm looking at the standings right now, and for the first time all season long I, I that I can remember anyway, the Kings have a positive goal differential. Because it has yeah. solidified their goaltending. <laughs> like, that, that yeah. was their one weakness, and it's better now. <laughs> yeah, Corpusalo, four starts, 3 0 and one 9 save percentage. I mean, he's doing exactly what the Kings had hoped for. Yeah, and then you look at Vegas, and they needed a goaltender. They brought in Jonathan Quick. He hasn't been, like, great or anything for them, but they also filled out some other holes in their lineup that they were dealing with from an injury perspective, and the bottom line is it's all, you know, it's all cruising for them. They they brought in and added depth, and they're, they're still plugging along in a way that I don't know that everybody expected them to, given given the state of what their season was looking like at, at that time. And... And it's just like, wow, okay, trade deadline, 
it actually can work like you can address a need especially if you can pinpoint like one need kind of like what the kings did where it's just we need to stop allowing as many goals as we're allowing here and it could totally change the rest of your season and so this is something i want to kind of bookmark for next year of when the kraken are more in their competitive window when maybe we'd see a more aggressive ron francis you know what? Yeah, go ahead and make moves at the deadline because if it's as easy as saying, oh, we just need somebody who can stop the puck or we just need one more guy to help out on the back end, go out and do it because this is the year more than ever that has sold me on on doing that. Yeah, and you look at those three teams and they both all three of them gave up first round value at least yes. know, going out the other way, which is something we both agree we did not want the Kraken doing this season. Yeah. So I don't think we could have expected similar results this year, but... Next year, you know, it's something to look at, and especially, um, you know, the Oilers and I, well, I guess the Gavrikov and uh, Corpusalo's deals are up. I, you got to think they're going to try and extend Gavrikov, but they're looking at players who maybe could help them down the road also, right. you know, past this season. So maybe that's something for the Kraken to look at uh, next year as well. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always deals to be made. I do trust Ron Francis. You know, I trust in him doing what he did at this deadline. Again, not criticizing. Uh, it's more of just looking towards next year and understanding why maybe the Kraken are getting left behind here a little bit in the division. Um, but yeah, it is interesting because, I, like I said, RJ, I don't remember a trade deadline where it was so like obvious the teams that added just got better and it worked and gelled right away. Like that's not normal. Yeah, right? Usually, there's a lot more a lot more pitfalls to it, and I mean, you know, there may be going forward. I mean, look, only probably one of those teams is going to make it out of the second round. That's just kind of how it works, yeah. um, you know, with the playoff format. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what it is. And I, and I, I also think that, you know, yes, we're, we're coming at it with, you know, the benefit of some hindsight here as we're looking yes. at everything that has happened and you can't know, but I think ultimately like we haven't moved off of our positions from the trade deadline itself very much. At least I haven't. No, I, I haven't either. Um, like I said, it's a, it's a next year thing. I just I, I want to yeah. put it on the record now so we can pull it up next year uh, should we need it. So now for the other juicier question, RJ. And this is the question that, I mean, it's... I, I'm trying to think of like the kindest way to phrase it, but we already, we already said it. And that's, do the Kraken practice enough? Kraken not really big on practicing during their off days, opting for, you know, rest uh, over practice. And is that maybe the reason that they find themselves as a wild card team instead of holding on to one of those top three spots in the Pacific division? Yeah, it's, you know, very interesting question to ask, you know, it can be kind of a, a juicy issue here um, as you know, the Kraken, yeah, they, they don't practice a whole lot. And it's something that seems like kind of an organizational philosophy this season. And it's something that Dave Haxtell seems to have kind of, you know, accepted and, and gone with. And, um, I, I wish I had pulled the, the exact quote up before the recording this, but it just kind of came to mind where I think it was last week or so Dave Haxtell was referencing, you know, I guess not being able to get enough, you know, not enough reps, but not, you know, getting reps with a certain look or whatever. And he just kind of casually mentioned it because, well, you know, we, we don't really practice. Uh, it's just something that's kind of accepted. And, um, you know, it, it begs the question, is that a good philosophy to have? And should the Kraken be practicing more? Um, and, you can connect it to maybe some of the miscues that are that are made and maybe, you know, on, especially on special teams, some of the struggles that they've had. Um, I think you could also connect it to the fact that this team is unnaturally healthy. I mean, they have been incredibly healthy this season. Um, and, you know, does the lack of practice impact that and reduce the amount of wear and tear that you get on certain players? Um, and then also, how does that affect you for the playoffs? And I think we'll, we'll find out come, come playoff time, you know, how the Kraken look. Do they look, uh, you know, rejuvenated and, and energetic while the other teams look tired? You know, we don't know yet. But Dylan, I mean, what's, what are your thoughts overall on, on this decision not to practice as much? I, I mean, I do see, I see benefits and I see things that I also wonder like, okay, would this thing that's been bothering me for a long time not be there if, if they had practiced? So like, it's, there, it's definitely one of those things where it's, it's a pros and cons list and it's up to kind of the individuals, I think, to figure out if, if, if one, which column is longer. Um, Cause I look at things like, you know, how many times have we talked about their passing not being good or they pass into each other's skates. It's not, it's not crisp. It's not tape to tape. One could argue if they practiced a lot more together, that might 
be solid, right? They might have that chemistry with each other. It's not a guarantee, though, like at all. Right. But it is one of those things that you wonder about. And then the other big thing being the defense. I mean, how many times have we talked about like, you know, hey, this is a basic defensive thing. We were teaching peewees this. Like, keep your head on a swivel. Defend the net. Don't have both guys go into a corner. Don't have four of your five players on one side of the ice, right? Like, those kinds of things that seem like the super obvious things, you wonder. If they were just practicing a little bit more, maybe staying mentally sharper in that way, are they making those same mistakes? I don't know. Again, it's not a guarantee. Those are arguably things that they shouldn't need to practice. By the time you make it to the NHL, you should just know that as an NHL defenseman, you should not need practices to remind you to not follow your defensive partner into a corner against one player, right? Like I, I, you know what I mean? Like I'm not going to blame that necessarily on the practice, but you wonder if it happens as much without, without it. You mentioned the injury thing, though, and that's something that, you know, back when the Kraken were playing really well, one of the ways you and I were trying to maybe uh, pump the brakes on it, uh, at least as far as expectations go, was because we felt like, well, look, the Kraken haven't dealt with a big injury yet. That That's coming because that basically comes for everybody every season. You know, let's see how they handle it. And we talked already about them missing Andre Burakovsky having that kind of hole in the top six. And we've all seen what him being out for this last uh, period of time has meant for them. And it's really meant that they're a 500 team without him. So in, in some respects, you and I were right. Uh, but I do wonder, <laughs> I do, and I do think that, you know, when you've already got to play an 82 game season of a physical sport, not having on those off days, a, a grueling practice where you're really having to push your body. You're not giving your body the time it needs to, to rest and recover uh, and to not be sore and to not be beat up and bruised and all of that stuff. I do think that there is, is something that is, that is good and forward thinking about that, that this organization is going for. And I do think that we're seeing that result. I mean, we're talking about a team that offensively is doing things that maybe they shouldn't be able to do as far mm -hmm. as shooting percentages and how, how they can outscore problems and how deep their scoring is, the amount of double-digit goal scorers they have, all of that stuff. And you wonder, is that just because they feel good and they felt good through a longer portion of the season than they otherwise normally would? And so because they're feeling it and they, they feel like they can go out there and get at it, is that helping them? I, I think that there's a really good argument to be made that says it is helping them. Right, and when you look at the overall, you know, kind of results and, and body of evidence, I, I got to come out in support of, of this decision. And it seems like, again, it's not anything I think the team would directly comment on or, or, or admit or anything. Cause again, it's, you want to stay close to the vest on this stuff, but it seems like there's, you know, some intentionality behind it, um, behind, you know, the lack of, of practice and, and trying to keep everybody fresh. And like you mentioned, the Burakovsky injury, that's a great argument that, hey, this team, the way it's built, can't really afford injuries. They can't afford to be beaten up. Um, and, and so you have to kind of counteract it in that way. And, you know, the Burakovsky, which is kind of this freak thing where he was skating over the blue line and his leg just kind of went, uh, you know, that it's a non-contact injury. It's, you know, it, it's just weird. Um, but other than that, they've, they've just been incredibly healthy this season. And you can make a good argument they've had to be. Um, and you take this also, the, the practice philosophy with, how Dave Haxtell distributes ice time amongst his, his forwards mm -hmm. anyway. And you, you look at, okay, so there's 32 teams in the NHL. You would generally expect, I think, um, that a team's, you know, top ice time forward would be somewhere on average in between first and 32nd ranked in the league. If it was all distributed normally, which of course it's not. And you look at the Kraken's highest forward on based on ice time and it's Alex Wenberg averaging 1852 a game. He's 63rd in the NHL among forwards in ice time. I mean, that's, you know, below, you know, kind of on the lower end of where you'd expect a second forward to be. Mm -hmm. You look at the Kraken's second forward in ice time, it's Jaden Schwartz at 1730. He's 113th in the NHL among forwards in ice time. I mean, that's, you know, that's a, a distribution that you wouldn't really expect there. And so Dave Haxtell kind of spreads his ice time out a lot among a lot of his forwards. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they don't practice a whole lot. And the end result, I think, is a forward group at least that's that's fresher and healthier than most um and it just seems like there there must be some kind of intention behind it yeah i mean we know the the kraken are a, an organization that is trying to be forward thinking they've invested in in an analytics department we obviously focus on that come like free agency player acquisition draft time but you do wonder you know they, they could be looking at stuff like this too 
right? If you if you can figure out the special sauce to to keep your team healthy more so than any other team, that's that's arguably way more important than trying to figure out who the best ad is or who the best player to draft is uh, at certain times of season. Because if if you're, it doesn't matter if you bring in the best player if he's gonna have to miss time for you, right? He's not contributing for you. So it it is something that you know it's one of those things like if I could be a fly on the wall, I would love to be able to try to answer that question. Uh, I think that oh, would yeah. be really really interesting. Now. I did save the biggest problem with not practicing for last, the biggest con in my mind. And and, okay. and so I did save that for last, and you kind of touched on it with Andre Burakovsky and talking about the idea of it being a non-contact injury. Because over the last several seasons uh, in the NFL, one of the big things that's been plaguing that sport, uh, and anybody who's played fantasy or follows the NFL knows, it's the dreaded non-contact ACL injury. Right. Because it's a season ender. It's something that just it just completely devastates you. The Kraken, unfortunately, I you know, in hockey, it's not very common. The Kraken have had two players have to deal with ACL injuries, both in Drieger and Brandon Tanev. But one of the things that as the NFL has been trying to tackle this issue more and more, they've been looking at turf, all of these things. But one of the things that that the bottom line they've they've learned about it. And this is something if you talk to um, sports medicine people, they they know is soft tissue injuries, non-contact injuries can come about from pushing your body too hard too fast. Basically not giving it adequate amount of time to be warmed up. And I don't mean like, oh, stretching before a game and, and warming up in that regards. I mean things like training camp. The NFL is finding that when they went through certain training camp changes alongside their players union, as far as reducing the amount of hours that they were working, the amount of padded drills, the amount of full contact drills, basically the amount of time that they were spending in training camp, slowly getting their players bodies ready for what the NFL season is. They were finding that the that ACL injuries were going up and they were wondering if that is part of the reason. And so I'm wondering and I'm applying that logic over here. I wonder if by not practicing and then asking your body to be game ready off on off on without keeping you know your muscles and your ligaments and everything in a place where they're used to being worked like that they're used to being act asked to be explosive at any given time I do wonder if that is you know maybe why we see a non-contact injury with an Andre Burakovsky does the not practicing and keeping their bodies in that kind of shape put them at greater risk or is this just coincidental and I'm creating confirmation bias for myself I don't know it's only one player it's it's so you know that could have happened to anybody at any time anyway on any team but that is the one thing that I do worry about with the non or with the lesser practice approach is it does then mean that you're asking these players bodies to be explosive and to give 110 percent and to be strong and fast and all of those things without giving them the opportunity to kind of always be revved at that level. Right. You think about a car. Do you want to just rev it to you know redline it like off and on over and over? Or do you want to gradually kind of build up to that and then have it sustain at a higher revs for longer? Right. Like what's better for your engine? And um, I think one of the things that that people are finding in sports as we're asking these athletes to basically be superhumans and to push a body to the limits of what's physically possible. One of the things is you can't necessarily always just turn it on and off and try to play at that level. And so it is something that, like I said, it could just be confirmation bias on my end for this idea, but it is something that I wonder about with the Seattle Kraken not practicing as much and them having this Burakovsky non-contact injury. Well, okay, here's the thing. I think you're spot on with your idea in general. I think there is something to that. And again, if you look at the research, like in the NFL, there could be something to that. And and I think even in Burakovsky's case, that may be the case. I think there's a good argument to make that is the case. But in his case, it's not because of the lack of practice. And you look at when Burakovsky was injured. That was in that game against the New York Islanders. And it was like 20 seconds into that game. Yeah. That was their first game back after the All-Star break. They hadn't played a game in 10 days. Yep. And and so he hadn't been practicing. He hadn't been off. And I mean, that's one where you you, you literally cannot practice in that time. The, the mm -hmm. league won't allow you to. That's the all star break. So I, I don't blame the lack of practice for that. But you know what? I mean, that, it does seem to kind of align there. Um, so I, I don't think that philosophy, you know, has anything to do with it. But man, I mean, you, you, that's a compelling argument there with with him getting hurt maybe 20 seconds in uh, to his first game after not having played in 10 days.
yeah, I mean, you try to rev your body up like that and it's not used to it or it's not ready for it. And and things like that can happen. Uh, it's it is it's it's a really interesting thing. It's not something like average people like you and me have to worry about RJ because we're not fine tuned athletes who, who, you know, have massive, you know, thigh muscles pulling on all sorts of different things as we're asking them to skate and, and whatnot. But yeah, I think you bring up a good point. The fact that that was coming off of the all-star break because yeah, you know, in hockey, it's not quite like football in the sense that you don't have a week off between games. You're playing two or three games a week. That should be enough where you're not like your body isn't totally cooling off and before you rev it all the way back up again. But yeah, coming after an all-star break, that is more the case. Yeah, and I should mention too that especially recently, the Kraken, when they have practiced or had practices, because they've had a couple in the last week that, that I've been to, including one um, the day before the Edmonton game that was maybe 15 minutes. It was the shortest practice I've seen them ever have. And you know, he asked Hapstall, well, why are you practicing today? This usually wouldn't be the case. And he said, well, we won't get a morning skate because the game's at 1 p.m. So we want to just touch the ice, get everything moving again. So I do think that is something that's present in their mind. Even the longer practice they had earlier in the week, they didn't really work on anything new systems wise. It was just um, go out there, get a good 40 minute skate in, loosen up. So I do think that is something that's kind of present in Hackstall's mind that it seems like he knows at least when the guys need to get out there and just skate. Yeah, and that's that's really what it is that they need to that they would need to do to avoid uh, the potential issues that I was bringing up. So, bottom line, we we answered the trade deadline question, answering the practice question. I think it sounds like we're saying the pros of not practicing as much outweigh the negatives here. I think so. And you look at load management in general. You look at it in other sports too. Like in the NBA, it's become a big thing. Mm -hmm. I think load management is one of the sports science frontiers that that over the next ten years hockey is really going to delve into because I think you'll find that there's a competitive advantage to it. That 82 game number on the schedule, like that wasn't created by doctors. That wasn't created by scientists. You know, that, that was put there for, you know, for basically market reasons that wasn't there exactly money. And um, you know, that, that's not there for athlete health. And I think you'll find that the ideal number of games for a player to, to play over season is not 82 and teams are going to have to grapple with that reality. Um, and, and balancing that, the fact that every game has two points that count versus the fact that that's not the ideal amount of games for a pro athlete to be playing. And I think you may be starting to see the Kraken kind of look into that. And I hope they do. I hope they're one of those teams that are on the cutting edge of, of this revolution that I think maybe not right away, but I think eventually is coming. Yeah, and this seems like a good first step, right? Load management as far as not practicing as much. Load management in that I'm not, you know, skate my guys into the ground during games, right? I'm going to I'm yep. going to stretch things out over the course of my lineup. We're going to focus on making sure we have a deep team and that, you know, our our third line can play as much as our first line if we need them to. And and that's that's a way of getting around maybe having to straight up scratch people just as a veteran day off kind of thing like we see in the NBA. Uh, it is a really interesting situation because I can't imagine hockey culture is going to be down with that. So I do mm -hmm. wonder if this is maybe that that kind of workaround for the NHL, for hockey in general, is the idea of just, you know, unless I have like Connor McDavid, I'm not going to have a forward play 22 minutes a night anymore because I don't need to. It's not worth it in the regular season. I don't want to burn them out. It's, it is really fascinating, and uh, it does feel cool to be, you know, covering and, and being a fan of this team that is at the forefront of that, that is experimenting with something like that because, I don't know, I, I just, I would always prefer to be in that situation than trying to support the, the last team that's being dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many times I've been been very grateful to be covering the team that I am covering. Uh, you know, when you look around the league, there, there are lots of uh, things that will make you appreciate where you're at. You're saying you like talking to Dave uh, Dave Hackstall and Ron Francis instead of having to do press conferences with Lou Lamarillo? <laughs> yeah, what, what press conference? Yeah, I don't know. Just trying to decipher his moves that he's already made and kept in a drawer for weeks. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I think this is, uh, we have it pretty good. Yeah, I, I would say so. So uh, just real quick here at the end, looking ahead to this week. I mean, it's it's a big week for the Kraken in the sense that, you know, for, for those that are worried about where they're going to fall playoff wise. This will be the week that should more than ever tell us what's going on with that. You got the game against Dallas tomorrow night. Again, Patreon supporters, live commentary game. Hope to see y'all there. And then the two games against Nashville. If, 
if for some reason those games against Nashville go go bad, RJ, the Dallas situation goes bad, maybe we're back here next week with the whole like, okay, is it time to panic? Where are we at? I'm still not there, though. I, I don't think you are either. Um, no. I, I'm just excited to see what this week of, of hockey can bring because, you know, I want to see them play against a Dallas well. I want to see them play against a Nashville well. I'd like to see them not be 500 the rest of this season. That is the one thing that I do want to see despite them being a wild card team. And and I think this week is a, is a big prove it week for the Kraken. And you know what? After, after the way the Kraken have been playing, I think they want to go out there and prove it too. Yeah, I think they're eager to do that. And that's one sense I really got from when you talk to the players after that Edmonton game. They want to go back out on the road where they, for whatever reason, feel really comfortable and go out and prove that they're a better team than uh, what they've been the last you know week and a half. Yep. And this is their time to do it. Really looking forward to it. Got to close out the way we opened, RJ. Thanking Queen Anne Beer Hall for being an awesome sponsor here on the podcast. Uh, and with that, we are going to see you all next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Austin H, Austin W, Beef, Ben, Burnt Creme, Chris, Coop, Daryl, DJ, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Emmy Chan, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Harry Legionary, Jay, Joni, Joshua, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Kyle, Leanne, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michelle, Noah, Nori, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, Skeletal Tendency, Stephen, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Tyler, Wendy, and Zaim. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. 